Welcome to the Smiling Boys Podcast. This is a podcast that explores a public health approach to improving the mental health of black boys while challenging the negative stereotypes often associated with this demographic in the society. This is a happiness research-informed podcast themed on the eight pillars of happiness explored on my research trip to the top five happiest countries in the world. Now, isn't that cool? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Smiling Boys podcast. And today's episode will be based upon one of the eight pillars of happiness. Today's pillar will be security. How does security impact the existence of young people uh, in the society in which they exist within, specifically young black people, and also from a macro perspective, how does that impact us generally within the societies that we live within? So as always, I'm going to explore some excerpts from research, and then afterwards we are going to then play a clip or two from a couple of young people and then we shall delve further into some of those discussion points. So a sense of security is related to the absence of anxiety and angst as explored in the Happy Danes report. We actually see the less the social differences are, the higher the average level of well-being in a country. So that's really interesting and we think about how capitalism works and we look at some of the countries that register the highest levels of GDP and actually look at the disparity of wealth within those countries and start to think about the concept of security when we have this huge poverty gap between particular groups and classes in the societies that we live in. When people experience significant and systematic differences in living conditions, for example, in housing, health, between social classes, genders, and ethnic groups, it has a negative effect on their sense of happiness. These are fundamental uh, research findings um, that date back to lots of world happiness reports. Security being a big part of how our happiness levels fluctuate. It was really important for me working with young people to really get them to start to think about how this plays a tangible part in their everyday lives. And to do that, I kind of uh, put together a series of exercises to kind of get these young people to, to explore security by stepping in the shoes of other people. And I think that's one of the, the biggest tools is humanity that we have at our disposal to, to, to try to, to develop empathy. And the only way you can do that is try to imagine what something feels like for somebody that's completely different to you and, and uh, always. Um, and one of the, the most important ways to do that is through creative exercises. So I designed a lot of different characters from different walks of life and basically gave these young people individual characters that might be very different to who they are and the lives that they live or might be quite similar in some way. So gender-wise, I give them different characteristics. Um, so I give them, you know, gay male. I give them a young boy that's just come out of prison. I give them a, a young white boy who goes to private school. I give them a white businessman. I give them a uh, black man who has all these qualifications. I give them just a myriad of characters in our society to embody that throughout the duration of the exercise um, and some of the young people's discussion points from that I'm going to play in a clip and then we shall delve further into that so it made me think here yeah, how easy it is for, for these, all these other kids are to like, like white boys like, mm-hmm. that have rich parents mm-hmm. it's, it's so easy for them because every question basically every question that was like had stuff to do with money and uh, what's it called 
yeah financials like stuff and that it, it, it i kept i had to step forward every question it was uh it was too easy right yeah. great thank you for sharing that any others like how like the single mum was in the middle mm-hmm. i still think like a single like dad would still be ahead of her just because he's a man that's so interesting why do you think so like just because even though we're apparently in an equal society i just i just still think like that women are still looking as like that like the weaker half just because of like surpassing that. That's really great. Does anyone have an opposite opinion to that? Everyone agrees. So what's really interesting about that is well multiple points um the first thing is really you know getting these young people to actually take a step into the lives of somebody else albeit for like a a 20 30 minute exercise to get them to take a step forward when i read out particular statements that may or may not um, apply to them and how they interpret the responses to those questions based on the characters that they are so it kind of puts them directly in the shoes of these individuals and gets them to make moves uh, based on who they believe that those characters are and how that would affect their lives uh, in real time. So based on all those characters on the young boy, he got the character role of a young white boy who was his age and uh, was in private school and his parents of a highest socioeconomic bracket and what he spoke about was just realizing actually how there was a market shift in what he would do in his life in response to those questions and those statements that i read out versus what he had to do by embodying this character of this young boy and how huge the difference in the decisions that this young boy had access to in the world. So some of the uh, statements that I read out to, to these young people uh, regarding these characters are, you have never encountered any serious financial difficulty. You have decent housing with a telephone line and television. You feel your language, religion, and culture are respected in the society where you live. You feel that your opinion on social and political issues matter and your views are listened to. Other people consult you about different issues. You are not afraid of being stopped by the police. You know where to turn for advice and help if you need it. You have never felt discriminated against because of your origin. You have adequate social and medical protection for your needs. You can invite friends to dinner at home. You have an interesting life. You're positive about your future. You feel you can study and follow the profession of your choice. You're not afraid of being harassed or attacked in the streets or in the media. You're not afraid for your future. And you can buy new clothes at least once every three months. So uh, a wide myriad of statements and and multiple others. um, It's just a selection of those. And I get them to take a step forward as it relates to the character that they are. And what is so interesting is the kind of discussion points that come out of that. Because perhaps prior to this, most of these young people have never really stepped in the shoes of most of these other people to actually imagine what that life is like in those people's lives. You know, people of uh, various uh, abilities and disabilities, uh, people of different um, gender associations, um, just a bunch of diverse groups of people that exist, that coexist in the same society as them. And often what the problem is sometimes is we get into a insular world where we think everybody lives the lives that we live and everybody thinks the way that we think and everybody has the same lived experiences. But actually, you know, these kinds of exercises are so important in trying to give us the ability to 
to step into the shoes of other people and to empathize and understand uh, potentially some of the challenges other people might face in, in relation to us. So that was super interesting. This young person speaking about how, you know, he was taking so many steps forward and he was thinking, "Wow, what kind of life is this boy? These kids, they must like have it all easy and life is like so smooth for them because simple things like, you know, never worrying about the police stopping you is something that, you know, he had to move forward being this other character of this white kid and thinking I would never move forward in that. Uh, questions like you don't worry about the future or you know where to turn to for advice if you need it. And you feel like your language, religion and culture respected. All these things he said he wouldn't move forward for, but actually seeing how easy these young people that live in this particular subsect of the society have a completely different experience of the society that he also lives in uh, was something that was really fascinating and generated a lot of discussion. I think that's something that when we start to think about how this interplays in a society on a macro scale, like that's something that I'm sure a lot of us can really attest to these disparities that we are privy to on a regular basis, realizing, you know, uh, in particular areas, how deprived particular services and facilities are for those people. And then you go right up to the next borough, you know, and you start to see how markedly different certain things are, how very upscale these GPs in these areas are, the kind of uh, shops that are in those places, which again, start to give a particular sense of who's more valued in the society versus who's not. Um, and, and that's super interesting. The second one was a young person talking around gender equality and realizing because his character was a single black mother and realizing actually there are still so many differences, even though there were certain men in that those character stories that I gave that were perhaps, um, worse off in terms of just coming out of prison or just um, having no qualifications and, and all these other things, he identified that even with those things, most women are still, especially black women, are still behind those men when we think about a societal security. And actually that was so interesting for a young person to really articulate that and was super empowering for a lot of those other young people around to hear that and at the point when I asked if anyone had any counter opinions to that everybody was like no nah, we can't disagree with that that's really that's just facts you know and that was really great for for, for us to start to nurture the spirit of empathy and walking in other people's shoes to be able to get us to understand that yes we might still face a lot of social um, discrimination a lot of uh, inequalities based on our own kind of intersections within the society but actually acknowledging that they their tiered levels of injustices. And when we start to look at those people who are below us, it's also important to really start to realize that we need to advocate for those two. We need to fight for those two, not just singularly focus on what our own battles, our own struggles, struggles are. So that's something that was super important to really kind of highlight in that discussion. And for us to start to think more about that, because I think sometimes, you know, we play this, um, kind of politics that you know ranks who's the most uh disenfranchised and we are trying to you know make sure that that's what's being the loudest voice and realizing actually a lot of us in different levels and in different ways intersect with different structures in the society where we might appear more privileged in one place and another another era we might not be so just really trying to understand the nuances of those and how to advocate collectively for change and equality on a grand scale so understanding that a lot of these young people um, are aware of the differences in socioeconomic factors but also the wealth of difference in life outcomes 
for their white counterparts and understanding that from such a young age, what that really does to how that young person feels about their value in a society, something that's also important to really explore. Because if a young person walks out of the house thinking actually my access to healthcare, the way in which I am taken seriously when I speak about different illnesses, the way in which uh, the society that's supposed to protect me treats me very differently to this other kid, all those things actually feed our sense of lack of security in the society and a system that's supposed to be there to safeguard us and improve our well-being, realizing that actually your access to that service is completely different in terms of your experience to somebody else who's of a different socioeconomic group, different racial group, different ethnic group, different language, all these things. And, and that's the job that as a society we need to be doing more work in, really trying to close this gap of poverty, really trying to co- close this gap of socioeconomic disparity. All of these things are important works that we need to be doing, but also that's on a macro scale, but on a micro scale, realizing that actually environments uh, and uh, communities that like institutions that are supposed to serve the, the community as a whole need to be actually doing more to allow those other kids that come from those backgrounds and have those kinds of uh, social inequalities that already stacked against them. They need to be doing more to actually equate the experiences for everybody along the board because equality is not treating everybody equal because then that's, not fair and that's never going to attain the levels of equality that we're thinking and hoping for equality is making sure that everybody has equal access to the same opportunity and that's where i think a lot of institutions and people are getting it wrong and not actually making the the, the more substantial change that's necessary and needed because when we think about security and education you know the questions that covid have presented is one that i think would kind of spark lots and lots of debates moving forward around you know how certain kids and certain uh demographics especially black kids particularly have a different experience with the education system versus their white counterparts and how this in the long term impacts their experiences within education. Because you know, the proposed prediction of grades has posed, especially in relation to black kids, a lot of problem. Because only 39.1 of cases predicted grades for black students are accurate by contrast. White students had the most accurate grade predictions at 53%, according to the Department for Business Innovation and Skills. So that's something that's really important to think about those disparity in numbers, thinking that actually moving to this discussion around off-call proposed as a, as a way to kind of uh, make sure that kids who are in year 11 and kids who are trying to go into college get their get grades predicted instead of obviously not being able to do any exams, realizing that there's a problematic racialized element to that because actually based on statistics, and evidence it shows that actually most black kids their predicted grades are often never accurate in comparison to their white counterparts and the problem that that poses um, around the kind of knock-on effects in terms of their life chances their opportunities to economically progress because if these universities are heralded as some of the most reputable and the kind of jobs that come from that then we look at the knock-on effects that this has generationally and that's one of the bigger conversations I think we need to be focusing on and thinking about how when we think about security especially within education that's a big thing thinking about how young people do not feel like actually this system actually provides me equal access to where I'm trying to go in comparison to my friend John here who comes from a completely different background and racially very different to me so realizing that when young people can acknowledge and see that within themselves it brings about a shift in the ways in which they engage with these institutions because all of a sudden they know that these institutions are not there for them these institutions are not there to actually um, see them thrive 
thrive in the ways that they aspire to. So when we see that disparity, we need to start to actually put things in place to actually provide a counter experience for those young people on a micro scale as well as on a macro scale. And stepping away from education, and we need to think about health. And we think about how, especially this COVID-19, how this is disproportionately impacting um, communities of color, especially black um, and Asian minority communities, uh, thinking about how this also has an impact on the ways in which it reinforces the same idea that these young people pick up around the ways in which different groups access the same services that everybody else should have equal access to. And actually how this dis- disproportionately impacts people negatively in that the numbers of people who are dying the most for a lot of factors, which we're going to explore are mainly people of color and thinking, why is that the case? And what these young people see reinforces these ideas and actually starts to increase the anxiety levels that they face when they see their parents go out the door because they know they have to make money to bring food to the, to the household. But actually the jobs they are doing is putting them much more directly at risk because some of these people's jobs are maybe not being furloughed. And most of these people are on the front line working and actually they have to consistently be exposed to this fear that maybe their parents might be next and actually what that might then in turn do to them. Are they then more um, exposed to catching this or even, you know, losing somebody dear to them as we've seen those numbers rise um, exponentially uh, in the past couple of months. So the Institute of Fiscal Studies shows that black and ethnic minority groups are dying at higher rates per capita particularly black people. So black Africans are 3.5 times more likely than white Britons to die of COVID. These are, you know, really staggering numbers. Um, And there's still a lot of research um, going on at the moment and a lot of investigation into uh, why there are these huge disparities in the amount of deaths uh, for other groups versus black groups. But some of the things that have come out so far are really interesting to explore. For example, when we look at the fact that black people account for 13% of Londoners and 16% of all deaths, we see that there's a really interesting number correlation there. And then some factors that have been cited are the high percentage of frontline workers, carers, bus drivers, social workers are from BME background. So therefore, they are more posed greater risks um, when we look at how easily they are in contact with uh, people who might be affected. And also economic vulnerability also plays a hand. Because when we think about household savings, uh, the lowest household savings on average are within black Africans. So when we start to think about that, because what this does for you is it gives you a sense of security. When you have a higher level of savings, you think, you know what, maybe I can stay at home and, you know, self-isolate and quarantine with my family. I don't need to go into work. I don't need to do whatever. If work is not happening, I would be fine when this comes back out. All my companies furloughed and things like that. Or I have this amount of savings. But actually, a lot of communities of color, specifically in this research, especially black African communities, don't have the highest levels of savings. So what that does is, you know, a lot of, you know, mothers, aunties, um, fathers, uncles are having to work extra hours pick out these shifts because they feel like actually if I don't work I'm not going to earn no money you know and actually what that does is it exposes us to much more of these risk factors and when we start to think about that and think about actually how does that impact the lives of the young people that these these people are there to provide care for you know a lot of these young people often also consume this information this euphoria that we have on online where they see and, and hear the amounts of deaths and actually becomes real to them because they know somebody their auntie their grandma their uncle somebody that's passed away from this you know unlike most people who perhaps don't actually have that 
imminent fear because they're doing their job in terms of self-isolating and quarantining and thinking actually for the most part it's very unlikely that we are going to come in contact with people that have been infected and we are just you know waiting and writing this one out based on the government advice um but actually a lot of communities don't have that privilege and understanding that this disparity is something that actually interplays in the way the society registers the amount of people that are that are actually dying as a result of this is something that we can think about what that link is with how young people perceive their sense of security within the society and us as a whole as well one of the things that i guess is important to really think about is when we think about the the pillar of security and think about how even though on a micro scale, it's very difficult for young people to have agency over this particular pillar. What's really important is to then to start to think about how the government, the institutions that protect and supposed to actually provide equal services for all of us, especially these young people, need to go through really drastic restructure to be able to identify that there are these inequalities and these are not by chance. These inequalities are institutionally in place. And actually what the responsibility is, is to conduct proper investigation, proper scrutiny of these structures that already exist and actually drastically reform a lot of them. Because actually not just coincidentally, are we seeing high numbers of, you know, uh, BME communities be casualties of this, um, that these are actually structurally created. And actually we need to really look ourselves in the mirror and start to put things in place because already there's been conversations of appointments of people like Trevor McDonald, who obviously has a long history of, of a lot of problematic things around uh, race and Islamophobia and a bunch of other things as the person who has been you know, appointed to conduct this investigation into why there's lots of deaths. Obviously that, that signals something to a community of people who have this disconnection from this person who's supposed to be um, the spokesperson for black communities. And I think that's something that obviously signals some sort of untoward agenda, because if this is supposed to be a very transparent investigation and transparent breakdown of a lot of these uh, structures, then we need to be able to have somebody who actually, from a community perspective, someone that everyone invests a lot of trust and belief in. So on a micro scale, which is what I really try to do a lot of times to really think about how can we individually also make changes and things that are uh, tangible to us on an everyday level. First thing is, I think it'll be important for us as a society to actually start to do some of these exercises with our family and our friends and our, you know, kids, actually give them these characters of individuals from different parts of the world and different parts of the same world that they live in that might occupy a different intersection of the society. Get them to embody these characters for a particular period, read out these statements, get them to take a step and have discussions about that. Because I think open discussions about privilege, open discussions about ways in which society favors individuals people are conversations that are not had enough not enough in, within the school institution not enough within the family structure not enough within the societal and political institutions so i think these conversations need to become much more commonplace for us to start to acknowledge what differences and privileges that we have within a society and how we can then use this for good because that's the most important thing it's not the fact that you have or don't have the privilege it's actually what are you doing with it when you do have it how can you use that to platform somebody else who doesn't have the same level of privilege that you do have and understanding how to use that in a way that is actually beneficial to everyone else in the society i think that's really important to be able to start to actually do that on our own individual level so i also think it's important that we nurture a society with 
empathy. Because when we think about the ways in which we live our lives, often it's so easy to be insular. It's so easy to be in a echo chamber of people that have similar experiences to us, similar gender experiences, all of these ability experiences, all of that, socioeconomically, all of that. And then therefore we think everybody has this unified experience and therefore, you know, we are all in this particular thing together, which was, I guess, the narrative that first came in the earlier stages around COVID-19 that yes, and we are collectively experiencing this trauma but we need to understand that outside of that collective trauma there's certain people that are much more worse hit and actually we need to also think about that when we are thinking about all the things that we are putting in place to be able to support people thinking that there has to be specific interventions to make sure that certain groups who are worse affected uh, are actually being prioritized and actually understood that those people are not just banging on about something just because they want to kind of focus on themselves these are real hard-hitting facts and numbers that are undeniable and these are things that need to be actually prioritized when we think about a society because all these things send a sense of security to us as a people that actually this society that we live in this society that we pay tax into are here to safeguard us i mean as a self-employed person, I'm yet to still receive any kind of assistance from the government because for whatever reason, I just don't fit into some of those loopholes. And here I am, you know, as an artist, as somebody who's providing into the society, into the economic GDP, into the thriving um, creative sector, but yet I don't have no support from this society that's supposed to keep me um, secure. And these are fundamental things that we need to start to actually think about as a result of this, because this exposes the wide disparity that we have in our society amongst lots of different layers of class and gender and race and ability and all these other things. And these are really pertinent discussions that I think need to be tabled, especially in these times more so. So I think that's mainly what I would love to kind of um, round today's exploration of security on. I think there's going to be lots of different episodes that uh, will come off the security pillar. So one thing I would like to hear from you guys in the comments uh, is I guess one thing you've witnessed happen in this kind of quarantine period that's restored your faith in humanity in some way, that's restored your faith in the security that individually we are striving towards trying to achieve for ourselves, our neighbors or strangers. I think that would be really great to kind of hear some of the things that you've witnessed because, you know, there's been so many waves of incredible things that have been, you know, circulated on social media around, you know, what's been happening, what people have been doing. It would just be great to hear some of those just to be filled with a lot of positive energy and see actually the humanity is also positive as well as you know uh structurally and institutionally problematic thank you guys so much for giving me your ear and really investing your time and your concentration into today's conversation it's been a lovely lovely uh, exploration of the theme security and I hope that you have a wonderful wonderful day and I look forward to catching up with you guys on the next episode peace and love <laughs>